You're listening to episode 74 of the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Hey, we're Sub Radio. You're listening to the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Here's your host, Suze, founder of the Rockstar Advocate. Hello, you're listening to episode 74, Musicpreneur Spotlight, Leah McHenry. I'm your host, Suze, a mindset coach helping music professionals get clear on their goals and find the time to get it all done while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. To be honest, maintaining balance is a tricky bitch. Some wonder if it's even attainable. To me, balance is different for everyone. Some may define balance as an equal 50-50 split of their time between work and play, while others feel more at home with a 60-40 split or looking at the split more intricately between family, friends, work, and self-care with different percentages assigned to each. I tend to look at it like this. You're not always going to have balance, but if you have an idea of what you'd like balance to look like for you, you have opportunities every day to make decisions that can get you closer to the balance that feels right for you. When I talk about balance, no one comes to mind more than Leah McHenry. This mother of five, yes, five children, has created not only a successful music career for herself without touring, she has also built a successful coaching career for artists who want to learn to do the same. I'll let her tell you a bit more about how she's done all of this in her own words, but before you start making excuses that you don't have the time, here are just a few of the things this Celtic and fantasy-infused metal Canadian singer-songwriter has been able to accomplish with structure, communication within her team, and the discipline to identify her priorities and stay focused on them. She recently released her fifth album, Ancient Winter, after yet another successful crowdfunding campaign that surpassed expectations. She created and runs her very successful company, Savvy Musician Academy, teaching musicians how to use marketing to build their own successful careers. She hosts an incredible podcast and YouTube show that I've had the pleasure of being on earlier this year, The Savvy Musician Show, and she has created an incredible line of merchandise that she sells on her online shop. She is a multi-six-figure earner without touring. Leah will show you it's not about choosing to be a musician versus choosing to be a mother. It's choosing everything that matters to you and then finding a way to make it work with help and organization. She has become super clear on her niche and is fully invested in serving that specific community with her music and has become niche in her business as she focuses on teaching online ads and other key marketing tactics and tools artists need to be successful. All of her links are in the show notes, but as you listen to our conversation, I highly suggest subscribing to her amazing podcast by going to SavvyMusicianAcademy.com forward slash podcast. And with that, I am thrilled to bring you my conversation with Leah. Well, Leah, thank you so much for being here. It's a real honor to have you on my podcast. I've been a fan for a while, so thanks for taking the time. I'm happy to be here, and it's it was great to have you on our podcast, so... <laughs> Yeah, this is fun. You do so many things. We'll try to hit upon everything in our short time together. But as a Celtic metal performer and musician, you know, that is such a great niche and you've really made it work for you. I also wanted to just congratulate you. You recently released the first track from your upcoming album and uh, the, the latest release is called Redemption. And tell us a little bit about that and what spurred on releasing that now. Yeah. So, well, so the upcoming album is a Celtic fantasy medieval styled winter album. It's called Ancient Winter. And the and the first track I released now 
for some specific reasons. The first one reason is that I chose that track because it's the least wintry sounding track and it was August, (laughs) you know, August when I'm releasing it. So I figured that's a good one to release now because it can still be like people's summer song, but it, it just goes with the collection of songs. And the big reason why I released it was because I was also simultaneously releasing Uh, or launching a crowdfunding campaign on the same day. And my theory is that if I'm going to release something, you know, I'm going to get a whole bunch of eyeballs, a whole bunch of ears and this attention for a very short window of time. And I'd like to direct all that traffic to the thing I really want them to do, which is to, you know, pre-order the album in this big crowdfunding campaign because I had quite a lofty goal, 50,000. And so it worked, you know, we hit the 50,000 in 10 days, which is fantastic. And and so, you know, I was actually going to do more than that. I was going to do a lyric video the same day too, but just the way things happened, I, I wasn't able to release it that on the same day, but that's okay. I always try to, you know, everything I do is not winging it. And that's something you'll learn about me. Uh, I may be spontaneous at times. I'm I'm fully, thoroughly an artist. I love being spontaneous, but I've learned the more I plan things out and the more strategic I can be, the better the result is. Releasing this song the day of the crowdfunding campaign allowed all that attention to get funneled toward the one thing I wanted people to do. Go to this page and pre-order the album. That That's what I, I always love about your approach to everything is that there's a reason and an intention behind it. And that's something we talk about often here on this podcast is, is working with intention. And I think that that takes a lot of slowing down and, as you said, planning and being thoughtful about about each thing because everything you do always lends itself. Everything goes hand in hand, and yet you do so many different things. I think that's really great. And you mentioned um, your videos. You know, they almost look like video game adventures. You know, they're very visual. You have some wonderful photos and photography and and the the fonts and the way the lyrics come across your videos, it's very um, eye-catching. You know, as opposed to a typical performance video, what made you go more that route? Is that because you know that that's what your audience responds to? Or is that just more your preferred way of doing videos? What what helps you guide your choices for, for what videos to make for each single? Yeah. So I definitely have a few thoughts behind this. Number one, I'm not a performing artist at all. I'm strictly a recording artist Mm -hmm. and there, and anybody who, if, if this is the first time they've ever heard of me, um, I have five children Mm -hmm. between the ages of four and 13. And, and so, you know, during the last six years, me creating this out or this, this music career from scratch, I was doing it during nap time and on weekends and whenever my husband would watch the kids. So touring was off the table for me, couldn't make it happen. So everything I've had to do, I've had, I've done online. And therefore what I learned very quickly was that if you're anything you do online is very visual, extremely visual, and people do judge a book by its cover. And so anything you're putting out there online, whether it's video images, photography, website, any of this stuff, it needs to be breathtaking you know, mm-hmm. for whatever that means for your audience. So my audience, I just, you know, I've studied them. Like I know them like the back of my hand. Um, I know that they love this whole culture of fantasy, video games, Game of Thrones, all of that stuff, because I like that stuff. And they're a lot like me. 
And so I just know that anything I come out with, uh, whether it's a lyric video or photography or the album cover itself, has to fit with the culture of my music. It has to fit with the culture, my fans and my culture and me and my music. It's all synonymous. And then especially because I'm a recording artist and everything I do is online, that means I treat my music business more like an e-commerce business. Mm. And in in, in the e-commerce business, if you want to succeed, you need amazing photography, like visual components, whatever the, the designs are, your t-shirts, your any videos, like it, it's absolutely a visual world. So really I do, some of what I do is out of necessity because I'm not a touring artist. I don't even have really a proper music video. Actually, all my videos are either lyric videos or their hybrids of where my face is in it, but it's still lyric video because I'm literally that I'm, I'm so busy mm-hmm. and I have, and they're expensive to make like a, a real music video can be expensive to make depending on, well, for my audience, it would be, I'd have to go, you know, to Iceland and Scotland and like go to all these castles and stuff. So, <laughs> and uh, believe me, I've looked into it. It's not cheap to get, to get, um, licenses to, to shoot videos at these places. So I will do it, but it all comes back down to knowing my culture, knowing my audience and understanding exactly what my niche is so that I can bring that and represent it properly in any of the visuals that I put out there. You know, you mentioned obviously your children and all the other responsibilities you have on your plate. And I I thank you for explaining all that to our audience because I knew why you didn't perform, but I, I wanted them to get to know, you know, why you made these certain very intentional decisions and you made it work for you. And I think that that's great because so many can get bogged down with their, you know, their excuses, reasons to not do something. And you always see a reason to do something and figure out a way to do it that works for you. So thank you so much for, you know, taking us through that. I do want to get a little bit into your company and your family and how you manage everything. But first you brought up something about, you know, seeing your music business as an e-commerce business. And I noticed like your shop, you have these beautiful line of bracelets that you sell and you've, you've got your podcast, you've got your YouTube channel, you've got your crowdfunding campaign. What prompted you, you know, was there a lot to learn or is this something you had before maybe in a, in a past life or other jobs that you might've held in the past? What prompted you to be able to switch this mindset and see your music career as an e-commerce business? Where did you end up having to take courses and learn certain things? Or did you come with this knowledge of like, no, this is how we're going to approach it? What was that kind of shift like? Because that's not how a lot of people usually approach it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, I think this, the concept of treating selling your music online, like an e-commerce business instead of a music business, this is new. This is a new idea. I had never, no one's ever told me that I definitely had a light bulb moment and it came from constantly studying. I mean, that's, this is like a part of my day. I'm always reading, I'm always learning, listening to podcasts, stuff outside of even what, you know, I'm currently, what's even relevant to me. Sometimes I'll just you, in fact, good copywriters, people who, you know, write amazing copy that, that persuades people to buy stuff. And the best copywriters in the world, they study things outside of what's relevant to them, you know, so read, you know, be fascinated in everything, be interested in everything. And, and I've always taken that approach. So I'll read stuff about business or whatever, that's not relevant to my, uh, you know, music business. And it's amazing the light bulbs that go off. So this is exactly what happened with the whole e-commerce thing. 
I was studying something else and it went, I was like, oh my gosh, I just had this, this moment where I was like, if I, you know, people are purchasing my music online. Now specifically I'm talking about from my website, from my shop. I'm like, what is the difference between this and the next e-commerce store that is selling, you know, ugly Christmas sweaters, uh, and, or whatever it is that they're selling. Like, what is the difference? The only difference is that I'm selling music, but if I treat my music like bigger than just the music, if I'm like, Hey, listen, this is more than just music. This is really about the culture. Then that's going to open up a world of opportunity to me to sell other items that are not music, but fit with the music. So now, yeah, I do. I have jewelry. I have leather journals. I have things that just go with the music. It's all creating an atmosphere and ambiance that suits my culture, that suits the music. It all goes together. It make, makes perfect sense. And I make quite a bit of my revenue from this. So uh, that shift really like 10 X what I was doing, uh, just in this one particular income stream. So that was a huge pivotal moment. And I teach all my students now, like we have our elite program. We, we teach this extensively, like that's how much of a game changer it is, you know, using Shopify and like understanding, uh, the psychology of sales when people are shopping online, you know, like everything from product descriptions to where a button needs to be to follow up emails when someone abandons their cart. All of these things are part of e-commerce and really nurturing a relationship from the beginning to the end and continuing that relationship. And these are things that musicians, I guarantee you 99.9% do not even, this is not even crossing their mind. Oh, for sure. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a game changer though. When you, when this light bulb goes off for you, you're like, oh my gosh. And not only, I mean, it's a little intimidating, it's a steep learning curve a bit, but it's also the most lucrative thing you could do online. Absolutely. You know, it's, it reminds me of Ariel Hyde of Cyber PR. I know um, we've done a few workshops together and we've talked about the themes. You know, if you, if you stop looking at your music as just an album by album, but really what, as you said, culture and, you know, what are the themes behind what you do and what you represent, as you you yourself said, if you're in, interested in it, your community of fans are m- most likely interested in it. And so to build a business around that rather than just a particular song or a particular release, as you said, can change the game and, and open up possibilities for additional income streams that you haven't thought of. And And I love that you worded it as, as that, that you saw it more as an e-commerce business because that's what we try to do here with the musicpreneur mindset is get you thinking like an entrepreneur that, you know, for years I kept thinking, well, I know the music business like the back of my hand. So I can, you know, I can build a business and I'll be successful. And I had so many businesses not take off and I couldn't figure it out because I, I knew what I was talking about. I knew the stuff, but I didn't fully understand what it means to be an entrepreneur. And that's a whole mm. different ball game. And it wasn't until I understood income streams and funneling and onboarding new clients or new fans and the retention rates and, you know, all of this other vocabulary and skill set. And so I love that you teach that to your students and open their eyes to, to really how to get this stuff done where they're, they're not going to learn that, you know, necessarily from, 
from anything else that's out there that's teaching strictly just, you know, music industry information. Um, I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I actually, I mean, I I attribute all the success that I've had so far to actually stopping studying the music industry. I just flat out stopped studying that. And I just started studying what's working online for anybody, anybody else. So it's all the other businesses, like they're they're doing something right. I mean, they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars every month. What can I learn from them? And how can I translate that to what I'm doing over here? And I will tell you, it's awkward because music is not, you know, a typical commodity. Mm -hmm. It's not, you're not, you're, you're not selling tools or, you know, socks. Well, I guess you can sell (laughs) socks nowadays, um, with print on demand and all that, but you know, it's just, it's art. And so I struggled and, and maybe people will relate to this. I struggled with like, well, people don't really need music, you know, the way they need Tylenol or, or something to solve their pain. Like mu- does music really do that? And so then this becomes just a weird intellectual question that you have to say, you know, does music solve pain? And like, why do people need it? And where's the value in it? And it does turn into this intellectual question. In the end, I have settled at least, you know, temporarily in that music does have intrinsic value, but I need to determine mm. it. And I need to determine it by the way I price things and not make everything free. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there's streaming and yes, all, and those things I, I look at as my friends, but I can also, like you said, when you treat it as like a theme, it's just like, you know, if I, I treat my music business where the music is the soundtrack to this magazine in mm-hmm. a way, like what is the culture? What's inside the magazine? There's articles, there's ads, there's all these different elements and who is the person reading it? You know? So you treat it like a lifestyle business in a way and you add the e-commerce element and it's really incredible. So music does have intrinsic value. You must determine what the value is and then price it accordingly. You know, there's so many, oh man, there's so much we can talk about going into <laughs> these things. But, but the important thing is learning what works in general and then apply that to what you're doing now. And it is, it is weird when you're dealing with art, mm-hmm. right? But you know, once you get over that and you just find the way that it's going to work for you, it does work. That's the thing. So I, I had to stop studying the music industry to get there, though. And it, and it sounds like from what you're saying, too, and, and I can totally relate to this, it takes a lot of trust to walk away from getting used to studying the music industry and doing things a certain way to now saying, OK, this might feel counterintuitive, uh, you know, because musicians are often taught the scarcity mindset and that, you know, mm. we, we hear stuff like people don't buy music anymore and blah, you know, and all this stuff that oh. we ascribe to, it can take a lot to trust these new ways of going, but it sounds like you're very good at trusting your gut and you felt, I know that I'm going to pivot and this is what I'm going to do. And you committed to it. And I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, well, part of being an entrepreneur, in fact, the, the very definition of being an entrepreneur, if you look it up is someone who's willing to take financial Mm -hmm. risk. So if you're not a risk taker at all and you only stay in the safe zone, you're probably not going to see a lot of success in your life. You must be a risk taker. And I do think that a lot of musicians are because of just our creative nature. We're willing to put ourselves out there. We're willing to play in front of crowds of people and wear a heart on our sleeve. So I feel like the potential to be entrepreneurs is very, very, very great. And uh, there are some people who just haven't embraced it yet. So being an entrepreneur, being willing to take a risk, 
and trying things and being willing to fail. Like that's part of it. Like if I'm not willing to fail and, and risk failure, I really am just going to stay in my comfort zone. And at that point, I'm not really going to be doing anything of value or anything important. So, you know, you, you definitely have to be willing to take risks. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I know you've mentioned is that, you know, your fans extremely well. And, and I think that's definitely evident in, in everything that you put out and the reception that you get from them. And so what I also noticed on your social media and especially on your YouTube channel and on your blog, you're very good at teaching your fans how to be great fans. So, you know, how to best support you explaining to them, like I saw in your latest blog post about your crowdfunding, what sharing the crowdfunding link could do for you, why it's important that they share it, how they can be a part of expanding this and getting more eyes on your album. You've got an understanding of how to teach them how to be good fans. But what do you think over the years, what have they taught you? What have you learned from your fans that made you go, hmm, okay, I need to either stop doing this or do more of this? Or was, was there something that maybe surprised you that you learned from your fans over the years? Well, that's a really interesting way of putting it. I've never heard anybody say, you know, teach your, teaching your fans how to be good fans. That's, that's really a unique perspective. But yeah, now that you mentioned it, I guess I do <laughs> do that and just spell out for them exactly what I want them to do. And I think that's, I mean, I learned that in marketing. Right. I learned that by studying business. Again, didn't come from the music industry at all. I just learned if you want people to do something, never assume that they mm. know that. Never assume that they know what you want them to do. Spell it out and spell it out in detail. So make a list. One, two, three, four, five. What can you do? How to do it? Where to do it? Be specific. Kind of like go down to kindergarten level in a way. And maybe this helps with me having kids is that I know if I'm not crystal clear mm-hmm. with my kids on exactly what I want them to do and how I want them to do it and how I want it done, it doesn't happen. So maybe that helps when you're dealing with the public. But uh, so aside from that, what they've taught me, oh man, well, first of all, they have taught me, and I would say more recently, that the more... I think transparent and vulnerable I am, the closer they become Mm. to me. And I think this is a, this is a big deal for a lot of artists that are probably over the age of 30, where we grew up without the internet and we grew up without like a selfie culture. Like we grew up with MTV where there's this mystique between the artist and the fan and you don't, you know, there's a wall there and you don't really cross that line and you want to be you know, still mysterious to them. And nowadays that just absolutely will not work. You need to be more transparent. And this is terrifying by the way, trans, transparent, open, honest, let them in, let them see you for who you really are. Show them on Instagram stories, the way you make your disgusting smoothie in the morning and the way you fry pancakes and, and like show them your cat. And, and they need to see that because here's another principle I learned in the marketing world is people buy from people that they feel like they know, like, and mm-hmm. trust. This is something you'll hear over and over and over in the marketing world, but you don't hear in the yes. music world. So how do you do that? How do you get people to know you, like you, and trust you? The only way you can do that is by exposing yourself and putting yourself out and showing that vulnerability. So I, you know, was, I've been having uh, health struggles the last couple of years, like everything, hormones and thyroid issues and weight gain that was totally unexplainable. And I, I, I just flat out told my audience, I'm embarrassed to be in photos right now. I don't want 
want you to see me. I don't want to be in videos uh, because I don't feel like myself. And this has been a huge struggle. And I'm totally, I, I just, I just feel this shame and I don't, I know you guys love me and everything, but I've just got to be honest with you. I have to get this off my chest. You wouldn't believe the kind of support that I got. I mean, I was, I was shaking when I posted mm. that totally shaking. And I, uh, I think I cried for an hour after I posted it uh-huh. on Instagram. Um, it was just like, it was such a, like a freeing experience and a scary experience. But the, what I've, kn- what I found out is like the more I put myself out there, the they really, really showed their love and in a way that I just was not expecting. So all my fears were unfounded. So that's one amazing thing that they've, they've taught me is just put yourself out there. It's okay if, if you have a polarizing effect too. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when you put yourself out there, you're going to eat, it's going to be like a magnet situation. You're going to draw some people to you and you will push some people away. And that's okay too. I loved what you said about the vulnerability because yes, it is 100% not easy. And I, I've been learning that lesson uh, myself over the last year or so. And, you know, when you see somebody so successful killing it out there and you idolize that person. And so, you know, you you want to support them, but when you, when they're able to be vulnerable and not even share failures or lessons necessarily, but just share that they too are, 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 you know, thinking about some things or feeling a certain way, you immediately then can see, oh, they're not this idol. They're like me. And now I, now when I support them, I'm not just supporting them. I'm supporting me too. It's a very empowering thing for your fans when you're able to, to be yourself. And as you said, it's empowering for you too, to then be able to receive that support back. I think all around, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. I would also say I've learned to be a lot more aggressive in my marketing than I'm actually Mm. comfortable with and that that gets so much better results. So if I only sent out emails and promo messages and ads when it felt right, <laughs> I I wouldn't be making multiple six figures a year. It just is a recording artist that doesn't right. tour. I have learned to be yeah, 10 times more aggressive. So I mean, I'm sending a lot of emails and do I get unsubscribes every time? Sure. Absolutely. That's part right. of the course. That's if you understand anything about marketing, you understand that you need to be building your list aggressively because every time you send an email, a small percentage of people unsubscribe. It it would be weird if right. that didn't happen. So I am just really being aggressive about it. And by aggressive, I don't mean in your face annoying. I just mean I'm putting my messages out there more than I would normally be comfortable with. And I and that's what I we spend a lot of time coaching students to do the same because we're all afraid to offend people. We're artists. We, we want to make the world, you know, kumbaya. Um, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to annoy people. We're scared of people unfollowing, like you said, and we just have all these insecurities and that's something we absolutely have to get over. And I don't really know that I ever quite get over it. I just mm-hmm. do it anyways, because I like, I like the results right. that I get. <laughs> that helps. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you've brought up your family and your children and I, I wanted to, you know, talk about the fact, and I know you, you've gotten this question a lot, but I think it's just so interesting, you know, between your music and everything that goes into your career and running Savvy Musician, you do have five children, as you said, you've got your line of merchandise, your podcast. How do you prioritize everything? And do you find a way to connect 
everything so that it kind of works together? Or does it, is it better for you to keep everything kind of separate and compartmentalize it all? Like, how have you found a way to, to get it all done without like, as I'm sure it's messy at times, but how do you keep it from like this tipping point of, okay, goodbye, everybody. I'm going to go, um, you know, put myself in a resort (laughs) somewhere for two months and disappear. Like how do you find that, um, managing all of that? Well, first of all, I'm not going to say that I never get to that point because I do. <laughs> let's be, let's keep it, let's yeah. keep it real here. Yes, I have a lot on my plate. I really do. First of all, the one thing that keeps me sane is my team, and knowing that I can't do it all. I'm not Superwoman. I do not wear a cape. I have my breaking points, and I'd say my weakness. You might not believe this, but my weakness is overwhelm. Mm. I mean, people, people look at everything you're doing like, wow, Leah, you're a really good multitasker. You, you must not get overwhelmed. Like you must manage that really well. No, I don't. No, I don't. Actually, I I have a sticky note on my computer that I'm looking at right now. And I wrote this out the other day when I was feeling it, I was really feeling it. I was feeling like I was at the bottom of Mount Everest and I was having a serious moment. This is what my sticky note says in hot (laughs) pink (laughs) says, it says be in the present moment what's in front of me right now, don't focus on Everest. That was me coaching myself because what happens is for me with when I do have all this stuff going on is I look, I wake up that morning and I'll, and I I feel like I'm standing at the bottom of Mount Everest and I'm looking at the top. I'm going, how the heck am I ever Mm going to get up there? I mean, I just want to cry looking at it. And so here's what I've learned and how I had to coach myself in that moment was this is so cliche, but the whole put one foot in front of the other really is it. It's like being the present moment. And, and I think that the issue sometimes is with being a musician and a visionary where sometimes get stuck right. in the big picture. It's like, you need, you need the big picture, but if you focus on the big picture the whole time, that's where the overwhelm is coming from. Cause I'm seeing everything that needs to get done. And so I have to come away from the big picture and go back right into the present moment right now. What's right in front of me this moment? What do I need to do right now? And then put one foot in front of the other. And the the funny thing is, is you're not looking at the peak at the mountaintop way up there. You're just looking at your shoes and like what the next step is. And, you know, don't trip on this rock and step over that branch. You just repeat that over and over and over for a while. And an hour goes by and you look down and you're like, wait, hey, I actually made like a ton of progress here. So I have to coach myself on this stuff. Don't, I hope nobody ever thinks that I have really mastered this. I haven't, but that is the key. And the second thing is my team, you know, learning to delegate things that I shouldn't be doing. I'm starting to hire out more in my music business. So I have a full-time assistant, I have a full-time customer support person now, and those are amazing forms of delegation. And I'll be building that out, my, my team as I go, as the income supports it. And then on the Savvy Musician Academy side, we have a great team there as well. So I'm not doing everything. And we're actually trying to get to the point for me where we really have determined, uh, I shouldn't say we're getting to the point where we are doing it now. 
we've determined, you know, what's the one thing that I do in this business that moves the needle. And that's the only thing I should be focusing on everything else we should outsource and build a team, etc. So we've determined for me, it's the front end messaging, you know, it's webinars, it's uh, the podcast, it's some, some of the coaching, all the front end messaging is really where I need to be. And so that makes it really crystal clear. When I do those things over and over, the move, mm. the, the needle moves. First, you source out the things that you're not good at, and then you source out the mm. things you are good at. That's the usually the order of events that happens in businesses. So um, oh, does that kind of answer the yeah. question? There's a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. But and yeah. I'm glad, you know, bringing <laughs> up your team, one of the other questions I had was, you know, how did you begin building your team? I mean, I know you said, so you start with the stuff that either you're not good at, or maybe that you really don't like to do. Um, but what's been the biggest obstacle to overcome for somebody who is good at so many things and, and, you know, musicians always usually start from a place of like, do it yourself. And, you know, and, and, um, what has been the obstacle as you grow and delegate and, uh, and bring on new team members? I mean, has it been who you hire? Has it been what you give them to do? Or like, and I guess, I know I'm asking kind of multiple questions at the same time, but I guess also like, how have you worked out the kinks in terms of the communication between the team members? Like what has that growth been like for you as you've, as you've built over the years? I love this question. Cause I haven't really had the opportunity to talk about this before. Um, so The first hire for me is kind of a multi-purpose virtual assistant. So I'll say from the get-go, actually both Savvy Musician Academy and my independent record label, Ex-Cathedral Records, they're all virtual based, all virtually run. So every single employee is virtual, uh, which is amazing. And it has its pros and cons too, I will say, mostly in the communication department. But the biggest challenge is definitely in the hiring process, uh, not just the process, but choosing the right person. And this is, I mean, these are where some of the hardest lessons are learned because you think you know what you need or what you want. And then sometimes that can change over time. Uh, but one of the best things that I ever learned from my uh, business coach that I had was a very stringent hiring process. So not only do I just, you know, create a job profile of what I need someone to do, but I require a lot through the process to really filter through and discover who this person really is. So for example, it's, it's very simple. Um, you'd be shocked at how many people do not follow instructions. So if you, for example, just simply, uh, whether you're putting this out on Craigslist or somewhere on the internet, if you say, email me at this email address with this specific subject line. I mean, if you get 50 applicants, I promise you 49 of them or 45 of them will not use the subject line that you gave. People can't follow instructions. Those people are automatically disqualified. So I won't even read the email. They just delete. If you can't follow one simple instruction, like a specific subject line, you're obviously not great employee material. So things like that, that I never would have figured out on my own, but because I had a coach and a mentor Mm -hmm. that taught me this stuff. So that's huge. And then I would say the next big important thing when you're considering 
hiring somebody to do something for you is take them through an audition. You know, just like if you have a band and you're auditioning a bass player, it's just like, well, that's great what you said you can do, but let's see and hear what you can actually do. Pick up the bass right now and show me how you can play. So this, in the same way, we do that with potential candidates. And usually, you know, this is after they've done a couple of other things, but the what we call an audition, usually I have them do probably three different things. So tasks that will be similar to something I might actually have them do. So for a virtual assistant, it could be organizing something or doing some research on something. It just depends on what the job profile is, but it's usually something that's fairly telling, you know, it's fairly revealing about what their skill level is, how bad they want this job. Cause there's some people who, as soon as you want them to do Mm -hmm. an audition, they're like, I'm out of here. Like, okay. Um, so things that filter, right? It's a filtration process. And that has been some of the most revealing stuff ever in the hiring process for me, um, both in Sad Musician Academy and, and the music business side. You know, even if someone passes that test and they're like, hey, they did a great audition. This is awesome. The third, there's like a third interview that I have with them and it's strictly for culture fit. It's like, do we gel together? Do we have similar values? Can I be friends with this person in real life? Will I enjoy spending a lot of time with this person? Because you will be even in a virtual setting, you know, especially if it's a, if you, if it's just you, the musician, and you have one virtual assistant, you are talking to them constantly. And so communication matters a lot. You know, there's pros and cons to that being in a virtual setting. Like mm-hmm. we use Slack a lot, uh, but it doesn't really matter. Whatever you're using, Skype or whatever, it's easy to misunderstand people through text like constantly. And it's just one of those things. So learning to be clear, giving context to people whenever you're describing something and being specific. I mean, a lot of times I think I'm being really specific and I'm actually not. And I go back and I'm like, oh, I, you know what? I, I missed that detail. I actually didn't mention this and that thing. And no Mm -hmm. wonder they forgot this thing because I didn't actually say what I thought I did. I mean, for me, that's the, that's the first big hire anybody should make in any business and in a, in especially in a music business. And now, and when I say virtual assistant, I'm thinking a full stack person. Okay. Somebody who can help with your customer service, provided that you actually have um, some customers, (laughs) um, that people are buying things regularly, you know, but even if they're not buying things regularly, you want someone to help you up part-time. And then there's so much that they can help you with, with social media. Now it always needs to be your voice as a musician. I don't want to farm out my voice to anybody because they'll quickly know that it's not me. Um, But helping you organize, plan things, schedule, uh, especially planning album launches, uh, keeping files organized, you know, in Dropbox, that can become a mess really fast. Just take that off your plate so you can focus on what you need to be doing, which is really learning marketing and uh, make more music and find, you know, make the money. And I know, you know, with Savvy Musician, what you've been able to build, you know, much respect. Um, <laughs> you've got some great courses and I appreciate how you categorize them based on experience level. You know, I feel some people will just, you know, tell people, well, you want to join, you can join. But, you know, I always say to people, I always say to artists, really understand if you're ready for a certain course. So, you know, I do appreciate that you have yours listed and that people can filter through depending on what level they're on to see what courses would be good for them at this particular time. And so my question to you is how do you know when it's time to create another course 
And how do you decide what audience to make it for? Like, how do you decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to make this on an expert level, or I'm going to keep it simple and just open it up to, you know, what, what is that process like? Can you, can you give us a little behind the scenes on that? Yeah. So in Savvy Musician Academy, uh, our avatar is always going to be the same. So we do no, we're not really generalists where, hey, we teach a bit about mixing and mastering and we teach about uh, Facebook ads and also management. Like we do not do that. We're not generalists. We only focus on online marketing. That's it. So our avatar, the person who would, this would be most applicable to is any kind of singer, songwriter, solo artist, band. Uh, we do have some industry professionals as well, but there are fewer fewer of them in a lot of instrumentalists, surprisingly too, but on like musicians who are trying to build their fan base online and make money from their music and monetize it from different streams. Okay. So online marketing is the, the general term that we just put, that's the big umbrella. And within that, we really have two flagship courses that we focus on. The online musician is the main one where pretty much everybody needs to start out going through that. Uh, before they're even ready for a more advanced one. Because to be honest, nobody, most musicians I ever run into, they do not have a good understanding of their niche. They do not have a good understanding of their brand. They do not know what their culture is. And really, if you don't know those few things, uh, mm. doing Facebook ads isn't going to help you very much. You know, throwing money at something that's not working yet isn't going to help you. That's just a waste. So there are some fundamentals that need to be in place and like understanding how to connect with your audience on social media platforms. Um, and really just doesn't even matter what the platform is, how to connect with them, how to build this culture. That's the key behind it all. Like if I didn't get that, if I didn't nail that me doing all those advanced Facebook ads and crowdfunding campaigns, that's just not going to work. So one thing, you know, first things first, and, uh, there's people who say, Oh, I want to do Facebook ads. Well, that's great. But that's not going to work unless do you understand your fans like the back of your hand? Do you know what they're reading? Do you know where they shop? Do you know the magazines they're into? Do you know all the other bands that they have in their collection right now? Do you know what kind of pop culture and, and TV shows they're watching right now? If you don't know that stuff, Facebook ads isn't going to work for you. So, you know, the online musician, that's really the foundational piece. And then our elite, our super fan system elite is really the advanced digital marketing stuff. It's all the e-commerce stuff. It's the Facebook ads. It's the launches. It's all of that stuff because you, that's where you're, you're really dialing it in and using these more advanced online marketing principles. As far as introducing other products there, any other products that we introduce outside of those things are more just small mini courses that may just aid and help people no matter what level they're at. And usually mm. they're much lower in price, but we're probably going to be going away from adding too many more because we really want to focus on those two big pivotal, you know, places where musicians need to need to start out and build upon. So, which is, you know, understanding who they are, who their audience is, how to connect with them, build a brand online. So that's the online musician. Then when they're done that, they can graduate to the super fan system elite. And in there, that's where you're currently coaching for us as well, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. It's such a wonderful community um, of, of musicians and other musicpreneurs. It's been great. You know, musicians who are trying to step into, much like yourself, the, this musicpreneur role of, okay, let me build my other income streams. Then, you know, I talk to some of them sometimes about what courses they could create. And there's this glaze over them, like, well, who would I make it for? Or like, how, how complicated or simple do I make it? And, you know, it's, 
it's nice to get a, a perspective from somebody who's already done it and what you've learned from from doing it. So I thank you for giving us a behind-the-scenes peek at that. It's really appreciated. I want to thank you so much for giving us a behind the scenes, not only into your music, but also your journey as a musicpreneur. All of the links to everything you've mentioned, all of our listeners, her music, her courses, everything that we've gone over today, you can find in the show notes. So please do check check her out and make sure if you're not already subscribed to her wonderful offerings, be sure to check those out in the show notes and get subscribed. And now as we wrap up, I've got four rapid fire questions that I ask every guest. We'll start with, if there was one lesson you could go back and tell your younger self, what would it be? Oh, geez. Go to bed before 10 PM. (laughs) Oh, I am so with you on that. (laughs) Like consistently. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. The next question is, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? The ability to eat anything I want and not gain weight. (laughs) Man, I'm, we are, we're soul sisters here. Um, (laughs) so uh, my next question is if you could invite three musicians living or dead over to your house for dinner, who would they be? First person that came to mind was Jim Morrison. Mm. It was like, he was a big influence for me. Um, actually I'd really love to have Devin Townsend over. Mm. Um, he's, I don't know if anybody knows him, but he's, uh, like a crazy Canadian prog metal artist guy. But funny enough, we're not currently living in BC, but when we were last year, like we live probably an hour away from him. So at some point I am hoping that our paths will cross. (laughs) Devin Townsend, he's a crazy guy too. So he would make a very interesting dinner guest. Love it. And then I got to say, I'd love to have dinner with Enya. Mm. When I first learned about her career. I was like, I want her career. She doesn't tour at all. And she lives in a castle and puts out records once every five or 10 years. Like that's the dream. (laughs) Um, She's amazing. And she's kind of mysterious because she just doesn't tour. She's not like on TV a lot. So I would love to get to know her. Mm. That's awesome. I love it. Um, I'm going to try to get myself invited to that dinner if it happens. Um, (laughs) So my last question is that every week on this podcast, well, most weeks, um, we usually have a downloadable worksheet or checklist so our listeners can take action on what they've learned. So when it's an interview, I always ask my guests, what is one action you would like our listeners to take this week? Well, If people are interested to follow what I'm doing with my crowdfunding or my music career, you can definitely go to uh, the crowdfunding page. You can see how I structured that whole page. It's ancientwinter.com. That's the album title, and you can see what's going on there. And if you're interested in the music business side of things and learning more about what we do and how we help people with the e-commerce side of things, you can actually book a call and we can talk to you and just see where you're at and see if we're able to help or not. Um, and that's just call Wonderful. So everyone links to everything that Leah has mentioned in this very inspiring, uh, podcast episode can be found in the show notes. So make sure you go check that out. Leah, I know your time is short, so thank you so much for spending it with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was wonderful. And I'd love to come back anytime you'll have me. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. There are so many gems to take away from today's episode, but if you only take away one, I hope it's this. None of this is magic, a quick fix, one-size-fits-all solution, nor impossible. 
If you believe in your talent, if you take the time to get clear on the steps you're going to take and then take them and accept the mess that often comes with it, if you're willing to get real with your fans and pay attention to what they need from you, and if you are committed to finding the right people for your team, you can build the career you want on your terms and in your own way. Stop looking for someone to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Has anyone listened to episode 73 recently? And start finding people who are going to help you carry out what you want to do. That all being said, there is so much more to learn from Leah, not to mention so much more music to enjoy from her, so be sure to visit the show notes for access to all things Leah McHenry, her music, her courses, and her podcasts, and so much more. Simply go to therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP74. Feel free to leave a comment in the show notes page and ask Leah a question or share what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. And remember, you can email me at any time, suz, S-U-Z, at therockstaradvocate.com, and I'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time, Rockstar, have a wonderful week, and I hope to see you back here next week so we can get grounded to get rising. Take care.